Durbogosh recounted for us the coercive nature of the British regime and what happened that fateful day in 1919 in Jallianwala Bagh. Aditya Mukherjee explained how the empire undermined civil liberties of Indian citizens at every stage, shedding any pretense of being liberal imperialists. We heard from Srinath Raghavan how the British unleashed a fierce crackdown to quell the Quit India movement. And we learned for how much of the time Indian nationalists often found themselves in British prisons. But locking in leaders did not lock the idea of independence. The idea of independence was getting deeply rooted in the Indian psyche as the years went along. Let no one tell you otherwise. The empire was a deeply violent, deeply exploitative, deeply oppressive enterprise. Violent because it used force. Exploitative because it was solely interested in extracting Indian resources, both human and material, to enrich itself and to maintain the rest of its empire. And oppressive because it attacked human rights of Indians every single day. To me, the second feature that stood out listening to our experts was how so much of the Hindu-Muslim political divide, I'm not talking about the religious divide, but the political divide, is a gift from the empire. We heard from Bashwati Mukherjee and Ridula Mukherjee how it was through a systematic policy of divide and rule that the empire sowed divisions between Hindus and Muslims. The British favoured one community at one point, another at another point, and pitted them against each other. They planted the idea of religion-based territorial divisions with the partition of Bengal. They helped create the Muslim League. They institutionalized the creation of separate, religious-based political identities with the separate electorates of 1909. To weaken the Congress's claims of representing the nation, they actively gave a platform to communal outfits. By 1939, as Srinath Raghavan recounted to us, they saw in Muslim League a source of support during the Second World War, an effective weapon to neutralize Congress's nationalist call for independence. They actively encouraged Muhammad Ali Jinnah to come up with, quote-unquote, a constructive proposal. That proposal ended up being the Lahore Resolution of 1940, calling for Pakistan. And through the Quit India movement, even as the British attacked the Congress leadership and workers and suppressed popular uprisings, they encouraged the expansion of the Muslim League organization. And then, in their final years, their exit plan and arbitrarily drawn partition map led to unprecedented killings and displacement of millions, leaving India with a devastating tragedy. Let no one tell you otherwise. While Indian actors, including the Congress, made mistakes, and while there was more than a degree of historical acrimony between the two communities, it was colonial politics and colonial rule that divided this nation and led to partition. It also left India with a Hindu-Muslim divide that the nation is struggling with to this day. But it was in this darkness and gloom that the third feature of this period stood out for me. The brilliance and bravery of Indian nationalists at each step as they encountered failures and setbacks but slowly build the edifice of the freedom struggle. In 1857, Hindus and Muslims, peasants and soldiers, princely rulers and common masses came together to challenge the company. They failed in ending foreign rule, but they succeeded in ending company Raj. The privatization of the empire was over. 
The mutiny was to offer lessons and remain a reference point throughout the struggle. Rajmohan Gandhi told us that the Mahatma himself studied the mutiny carefully, and this helped frame his own approach to non-violent rather than violent resistance. Then, in 1885, even as India hadn't recovered from the failure of the mutiny, a group of nationalists decided that being what can be termed in those years a loyalist opposition to the empire was an effective way to deal with the British. So you get what you can. but you don't challenge them too hard for an outright victory was impossible this is when the indian national congress was formed but as british divide and rule strategies became obvious and their unwillingness to cede space to indians in governance became obvious a more radical faction within the congress pushed for extreme methods from swadeshi to boycott and then in 1915 the mahatma arrived on the national stage As Einstein said, generations to come will scarce believe that such a one as this ever in flesh and blood walked upon this earth. And through this series, it was indeed difficult to believe that such a man ever lived. Listening to Rajmohan Gandhi talk about his grandfather's arrival in India, the clarity of his goal, the magnetism of his personality, his unique political philosophy, and the techniques of his mobilization, and his first foray into Champaran. was a reminder of how this great nation was so fortunate to have its greatest son lead its greatest movement gandhi's arrival changed the national struggle by democratizing it bringing in all sections of the people into the mainstream and making politics a mass enterprise he wasn't afraid of politicizing common people many early nationalists were and the people did not disappoint Gandhi was to lead three major nationwide mass movements non-cooperation civil disobedience and quit india the gandhian scholar tridip suhrud offered to us a master class on the dandi march none of these movements met their immediate objectives and some have taken a narrow historical view to question their success on this metric but all these movements deepened nationalist consciousness in their own ways and brought independence closer Through all of this, Indian nationalists were tactical, escalating confrontation when possible, finding common ground when necessary. As Arvind Elangovan explained to us, the 1935 Act was one such moment, leading to Congress participation and success in the 1937 elections. But all of it was geared towards the final goal of attaining freedom. There were other streams of the independence movement that challenged the British too. Sugata Bose brought the personal and the political together as he recounted the life and times of his grand uncle Netaji Subhash Chandra Bose. Bose may have a contested legacy. Was he right in allying with the Axis powers? Was he right in taking the militarist route? Who was to blame for his fallout with the Congress? But there is no doubt that his movement showed to the British that they could not rely on their armed apparatus anymore. A point reinforced by the naval mutiny of 1946. which pramod kapoor recounted to us in great detail put it all together and it's clear that the freedom struggle wasn't a linear story of success it was marked by many setbacks it saw doubts about whether independence was possible at all it saw fierce disagreements on how to achieve it it witnessed contestation over what freedom would mean for different elements of indian society and how their interests could be secured most famously during the mahatma gandhi baba saheb ambedkar argument of the 1930s 
It was marked by debates on when to confront, when to retreat. But through it all, the overall goal was clear. Freedom. And each step, 1857, 1885, 1915, 1919, 1930, 1942, 1946, brought India closer to that goal. It required enormous courage of conviction. It required enormous sacrifice. It required difficult choices. It required judgment. Some decisions worked, others didn't. But India eventually succeeded. Let no one tell you otherwise. India has reason to be proud of its anti-imperialist nationalist legacy led by the Mahatma and the Indian National Congress. It has reason to be proud of all streams of the freedom movement for they may have come from different ideological positions but they were united in their goal of winning power for the Indian people and ending foreign rule. This Indian nationalism was inclusive across the religious, caste and gender divide. It was progressive for it had a vision of socio-economic justice for a new independent India and its free citizens. It was internationalist for it challenged the British but never descended into hate and built solidarity and common ground with anti-colonial struggles globally. And it also served as a training ground for generations of Indian leaders as they prepared to take over the mantle of an old civilization, an ancient civilization and a young nation on August 15th 1947. India was finally free. Thank you for staying with us through this journey. This episode of 1947 Road to Indian Independence was conceptualized and hosted by Prashant Shah. It was produced by Deepthi Ahuja. The sound design and editing is by Amrinder Singh. For more updates on this podcast, follow HD Smartcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube and LinkedIn. To listen to more such podcasts, log on to htsmartcast.com. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HT Smartcast. HT Smartcast.